want to I want to pray and ask God's favor for the teaching. Lord, I love you and I thank you. And asking right now uh, that Holy Spirit that you would work deeply in our lives, and we'd put push back all the religious trappings and all the. Um, and for many of us, the way religion deceives us, and you get us to the truth of who you are and what you say and why you say it. Uh, please, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do right now, please. Thank you that you will always bring glory to Jesus, always. Thank you. In your name, amen. Okay, so we, we focused last Sunday on this idea, a couple Sundays ago, about leaving our nets and what that means when we leave our nets. Uh, a couple things are, number one, it could be the nets of self-sufficiency. We, we talked about that one. Or the nets of sin, addiction, selfish habit, etc. But this is what I want to focus on just for a bit. The, the nets of disbelief. Um, you can imagine uh, these sons who uh, their dad started the fishing business or their grandfather or something or the great-grandfather and just having access to that boat and, and the nets is a massive asset to be able to do life on the Sea of Galilee at this city, at this little village called Capernaum. And, uh, to, and Jesus shows up and says, hey guys, drop it, drop the gear, drop the career, follow me. And I, I'm, I'm, the questions, the struggles with that, I'm sure were huge, but they did it. They did it. Self-sufficiency, independence, the career, all that stuff, they, they walked away from it all. They had to believe in something. Uh, like C.S. Lewis said, he's either nuts, he's a lunatic, he's lying, you know, he's a big fake, he's cruel, or he really is Lord. And they believed, and they dropped the nets. So I want to share something from, from John's Gospel that is just absolutely beautiful. Uh, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do the signs, these signs that you do, uh, if God is you know, not with him. By the way, quick comment about Nicodemus. Um, He's a leader of the Jews, but it's curious that he's stationed in, in Galilee. Because if you are the top guy in the system of Judaism, where are you going to be? You can be in Jerusalem, okay? So why is he in Galilee? All right. Now, what if he was in Jerusalem and he was one of the, the rabbis that engaged Jesus when he was 12 years of age? Can you imagine... This rabbi with the beard, you know, uh, and they're in the, the city courts, and this 12-year-old comes up, and, they, and the 12-year-old starts asking questions and answering questions, which is absolutely unheard of. And this little guy is engaging him, and it says that the rabbis were fascinated. What if he was there? What have you heard about it? About 15, 18 years later... Nicodemus hears about this guy named Jesus. Yeshua, or in Hebrew, Yehoshua. And this unusual kid that showed up in Jerusalem when he was 12. Huh, is that the same kid? There were several kids with that name. 
Nicodemus decides to come to him under the, under the cover of night because things are getting really risky. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, truly, truly, and, and, and I know you know this, it means don't miss what I'm telling you. An amen, an amen, a true, true. I promise I'm not lying. I promise I'm not lying. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay? Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, well, how can a person be born when he's old? He can't enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? And that's a rhetorical statement. Of course he can't. Jesus answered again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter, she cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. It's like he's saying, Nick, what's, what's the deal that you don't get this? Okay, You remember the story in Numbers when Israel radically sinned and God judged them with the serpent? Remember that, Philip? And then God tells Moses, I want you to build a bronze pole, put a serpent around it. How's that? Irony a serpent on the pole and you raise that standard up and then you tell Israel to look at the pole and when they look at the pole, what happened? Jacob, what happened? Do you remember the story? What, the, what happened? They were healed. They had to look at the pole. If they refused to look at the pole, they weren't healed. healed. And like a ridiculous number of people, Israelis died because they wouldn't look at the pole. What's the pole? Symbolically, what's the pole? Yes, face it, okay, face it. And Jesus says, look, this is, this is John 3. Jesus trying to get Nicodemus to get it. And Nicodemus says that, uh, Jesus says this, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So what's the pole in the wilderness about? The cross. You've got to look at the cross and see Jesus crucified for you. And if you don't get what that's about, you're not born again. I don't care how religious you are. I don't care how many times you've been baptized and the churches you've joined. Scriptures, you, whatever it is. If you can sing the top Caleb, you know, the, the top 40. You just got them all nailed. You're not born again. Okay. You've got to experience the new birth. Something only Jesus gives through the Spirit. And so Jesus summarizes... So that this brilliant scholar can understand it. He goes, everyone who believes will have eternal life in him, not in Torah, not in Judaism. And Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. I want you guys to see this Ephesians 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one will brag about it. What does the scripture say? What does it say? It says the word is near you. This gospel is near you. It's in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting 
in righteousness and with the mouth he, she confesses, resulting in salvation. So can I just make, I want to make quick work of this. If you're holding on to the nets of disbelief and you're holding on to the nets that you're, you're smarter than God and you're holding on to the nets that you need no savior, you're not born again. And that is the most horrific condition any human could ever be in. And we can drop the nets of self-sufficiency and disbelief and we experience the new birth. We become followers of Jesus. Okay. Now, if that rocks and shocks, see me after the service. Okay. See Pat. She'll explain the gospel. There's lots of people that would answer questions and help you to understand that. Okay. That's a big one. I don't want you guys to miss it. All right. Christ's esteem. We're going to dig in deeper now. How do we see ourselves? Right? Remember, I, I taught you that there really is no such thing as self-esteem because you, it's impossible for you to have a view of yourself apart from another person's opinion of you. Okay? You know, for example, ladies, your hair is flawless. Your makeup's flawless. You have this amazing dress on and you're all alone and there's nobody to admire it. Kind of blows the whole point, right? Guys, you too. Best haircut ever. Awesome beard. Cool man truck. Or whatever you think it is that you're really, really grateful for. And there's nobody to show the cool man truck to. Or to be jealous as they see you pull that awesome bass boat by. Or you're driving the Harley. Riding the Harley. It's not so cool if there's nobody to go, oh my gosh, I wish I had a Harley like that. Kind of blows it. So there's no such thing as self-esteem. It's always other esteem. Okay. I see myself through your eyes. One of, my, one of my clients. Are you ready? I'm going to prove to you, Ed, that I have secure self-esteem. Are we ready for this? One of my clients looked at me as I wore this very blazer and this very tie. I'm wearing a tie today. Nobody said anything about it. And he says, you look like a leprechaun. <laughs> <laughs> I took it on the chin, Ed. I'm okay. Where's pride? That's right. Yes, yes. God is good. Lisa, you look gorgeous in that, that dress and it matches. <laughs> we didn't even plan that. That is romantic. I'm just, just saying, just saying, how do we see each other? And that, by the way, is not Margaret uh, Lowry, her eyes. Those are the blue eyes, Margaret. There, I mean, look at that. Look at that. All right. How do we see ourselves? When you look into the mirror, I know that's an old photo and probably a thousand, you've seen it a thousand times. What do you see? What do you see? You're a little kitty. But you look in the mirror, and with the eyes of faith, you're alive. You know? um, it's a fun picture. It makes us smile. kind of makes us laugh. But is there some truth in that image? What do you think? You think we get a little, a little nod? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is there a risk for some ego here? Sure, always is. Always is. Okay. Um, what about this photo here and the view of self? What do you think about this one? Um, this is a psych patient. She is suffering from a condition known as anorexia nervosa. And it's, can you imagine looking at yourself in the mirror and seeing yourself obese when you weigh roughly 50 pounds? Can you imagine that? That actually happens. And by the way, that is a deep psychiatric disorder. It's not just, well, her mommy didn't give her food when she was little and so she has food aversions. No, that's a psychological issue. There are things going on medically. And can you imagine having such a distorted view of self that when you saw yourself in the mirror, 
which is a part of the therapy, by the way, for these patients. You see yourself as being fat. Can you imagine? A distorted view of self. So, how did Jesus see himself? Because if being a disciple of Jesus means we see it his way, we hear it with his ears, we seek to live it through his life, then how did he see himself? Well, here's the first hint that something's going on in his life. Uh, Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it, but supposed uh, him to be in a caravan. And he went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. By the way, which parent noticed he was gone? Okay, just, just, just notice him. Yep. Good theology there, real good theology. <laughs> we say neither of them, yeah, yeah. Um, and when they did not find him, I think it was mom, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. That's a long walk. And by the way, that is uphill, in case you didn't know that. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed, astonished at his understanding and his answers. Wow, there's something about this 12-year-old that's different. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom in stature, and in favor with God and man. Wow. All right. Let's talk about it. You're the body of Christ. You're the church. If you're born again, the Holy Spirit's inside of you, and you've been gifted by the Spirit. Some of you are very discerning. Some of you are very merciful and kind. Some of you are gifted in encouragement. Some of you are skilled as teachers and prophets. How did Jesus see himself And what behaviors proved or demonstrated his belief based on Luke 2? What would you say based on Luke 2? Why did it happen? Why did he say what he said? Why did he engage in these behaviors and get ready on how we pull that into our lives today? What's going on? What do you think? I find it interesting that he was compelled because I'm staying in Jerusalem. It was never in contrast, and so he's almost echoing the first two or three commandments. 
There is no God but one, mommy, your father, and mother. And he doesn't put those in context. They're not in context. That's really insightful. That's really insightful. That's so good. We love babies. We love noise. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not kidding. It's real. You're safe. Yeah. No shame and blame here. This doesn't happen. So, Janice. Very, very good. Very good. Someone else. What's the big deal? Yeah, Melissa. Had he reached the age of accountability Yes, that's so. No, that's good, Melissa. So in Hebrew culture, you had bar mitzvah for boys and bat mitzvah for girls. And it means you become a son or a daughter of the commandments. And you're now accountable to the, to the law, to the truth, even at that early age. That's so good. Anybody else on why this is so important? Jesus is modeling something. What else is going on? Yes, Slim. Okay. That's a good question, and, and I want. She would, it was a virgin birth. Just knew it. Come on, lots of miracles here. Come on, they didn't forget that one. I know Mary didn't. Um, all right, your 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 sis asked a question. Answer it. The same reason that I see miracles every day and tomorrow, I'll be an unbeliever. Okay, dull of hearing, dull of heart. We forget the good things God has done. You know, absolutely. Did Jacob, did God speak to Jacob in dreams? Yeah. yeah. Hey, wake up. Get out of here. You got to go to Egypt quick. Herod's coming. His henchmen are coming. Sure. Um, and, and we can be dull and forget these things. Keep going. Answer her question. Well, also, um, when, I, when you said, when you were reading that, my first thought was that was probably the longest three days of Mary's life. <laughs> like, the anxiety building up, oh, going to bed and still not knowing where your son is. Building up, building up, building up. I was seeing you like, oh my gosh. There you are. Yeah. I, you, you get overwhelmed by this anxiety and reality and truth cloud all of that. Yeah, yeah. And it was That's good, Allison. Isn't it interesting that it says they anxiously were looking for so the word anxiety, right? So it does exist. It's in the Bible, I'm just saying. <laughs> all right, number one. Number two, she spouts off, why are you treating us this way? So lots of stress. Very stressful three days. Absolutely. All right. Let's, let's anchor this into some scripture. I want you to see this. Um, we've already read the text from Luke 2. Look at Matthew 10. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before people, I will also confess him or her before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before people, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do you realize at age 12, Jesus, Yehoshua, is confessing his father to the rabbis. He is not ashamed of his father to the religious elite. 
At age 12, he's confessing publicly to him. Matthew 10, continuing that very section in Matthew's gospel. Pat, you mentioned the commandments. The one who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And the one who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And the one who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. The one who has found his life will lose it. And the one who has lost his life on my account will find it. All right, based on particularly the uh, verse 37 about the prioritization of relationship, what do you guys think? Does it, does it change the perspective about Jesus staying in Jerusalem, engaging the religious lead, the rabbis, okay? And then the upset parents and Jesus' response to them, what? D- don't you understand that I'm supposed to be about my father's business? Why, why would you be surprised at this? What do you think in view of these scriptures? A new, a new insight to Luke 2. What do you think? You're the church. Yes, sir. It would be yes. Good use of scripture there, Alan. Um, they would be shocked because he would be considered unlettered, which means illiterate. He doesn't know letters. He can't read and write, and therefore uneducated. And so, for him to speak as though he's educated at age twelve would be very, very odd, very strange that he could do that. So there was a bit of shock and awe. There. Where is the context that he was uh, Nobody masters that kind of material by age 12. And aren't they culturally supposed to memorize the Torah and do that by age like 10? Oh, no, 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 no. That? No, that's, that's, that's what the rabbis would do. Yeah, they would memorize all of Torah. Right, like, isn't part of the significance of him bringing back the the disciples that culturally in the Jewish culture you would start out in childhood memorizing the Torah go through that and filter out as you're unable and then go find a trade other than that yeah so so to be educated right and this is similar to the cultures around Israel uh, even Greco-Roman culture that you would typically take your alphabet and in Hebrew what's the first letter of the alphabet Aleph Aleph, you take Aleph, and then you would memorize a verse in Hebrew where the first word of that verse begins with Aleph, right? And that's, it's a memory guide, it's a mnemonic device. And so you would memorize the Hebrew alphabet and key verses. And by the way, Psalm 119 actually does that. Are you aware of this? Psalm 119 takes the entire Hebrew alphabet, 
takes the first letter, Aleph, and writes eight verses, all beginning with Aleph, centered around that letter. Then goes the Bet and does the very same thing. Gimel right down the line. It's fascinating what someone teaches. So that's how to be educated. But to memorize all of Torah, the first five books, they, no child would do that by age 12. Yet there's no way. They would have to have access to scrolls and they would, yeah. Children, by the way, it's funny, our culture's not that way, but children were annoying back then. I know it sounds curious. They really were. They, they yeah. Even though the Israelis honored children in many ways, um, for the most part, they were very bothersome. Very bothersome. For example, you've got these moms, Andrew, I remember you commenting about this, these moms are their babies pressing through the crowd because they want Jesus to bless the babies and the kids. And what do the disciples say? Get away. Get away. Keep those annoying brats away. The rabbi is doing really important things with adults. And Jesus says, uh-uh, don't you ever forbid a child to come to me. So, yeah, Bruce? Chris, when I read, when I read this, particularly Matthew 10, 37 to 39, this all seems like a precursor. Tell me if I'm off track. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. And he's trying to say that in, in certain yes. words. So. so here's the question. Here, this is where we move it out of the first century to our world right now. Who is the most important person in relationship in your life right now? Okay. If you were to do a little, little quick CAT scan over your daily behaviors, where you throw your time, your money, your heart, your emotions conversation, etc. Who is the most important person in your life? Okay. Now, can you see the plain truth in this? That if we say we are followers of Jesus, if, we're say, if we say we are born again, and that we're going to embrace the esteem of Christ, then you have to understand God is number one. But if we're not careful, that's just a theory. We just, we just say it. Oh, uh, Jesus is my Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I filled out that little card in VBS. Remember the little card? And, and so he's my Lord, you know. No, that has nothing to do with him being Lord. It's a great thing to guide a child in understanding the gospel. But it gets way bigger than all of this. Way, way, way bigger. Jesus demonstrated. He, he said this. If we don't confess Jesus, God the Father, before people. Jesus will not confess us before God himself. If you love father and mother or son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. Jesus, if he's Lord, gets first place. No exceptions. He gets first place. Um, someone had a hand up and I missed it. Someone else. Forgive me if I, if I Mr. Q. Chris, I wonder about, you talk about your life, and everyone can think about this. Who knows every aspect of your life from birth to death fully? Um, yeah. Because 
my parents know specific things about me as a child that my siblings won't know, my spouse wouldn't know. Um, and then eventually when my parents pass, that part of them knowing me and that intimacy in life will have moved on. And there's also like, hopefully with the spouse, you're with them through the rest of your life and they'll see your intimate moments up to the finality. So then your children can tell them more about you as a parent. And so time is a factor in all this. And I say it because there's one constant who knows every single part of your life fully, and that's God. Mm -hmm. um, he knows you from birth to death. And Jesus understood that even at the age of 12. And mm -hmm. it puts pride, I say that to put priority in relationships because right. who knows you the best, who loves you the best, it's God. Yeah. He's going to be the only one who loves you the most and the deepest throughout your entire life. Yeah. Um, did you just do that at 12? Yeah. Philip, thank you. Someone else? Why this is so important? You ready? Okay. How many of you memorized one simple verse of the words of Jesus this week? That's rhetorical. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> we have one. Thank you. Godly child. Yes, thank you. The, the young will lead us. Seriously, I mean, if he is prioritized, right? And he, if he says, the words that I say to you are spirit and are life, the flesh profits nothing. How much time have you spent in the words of Jesus this week? And you might say, Chris, you're not at my house. You don't know how busy and chaotic it is. And I go, yes, I do. Yes, I do know. Quit your whining. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. Quit your whining. You want to have time? You want, you want to do one thing that's going to give you some time for Jesus? Put your phone down. <laughs> Shut it off and hide it somewhere. You know. Okay, you're going to experience separation anxiety. It will be intense. Wait. <laughs> You'll get over it. And go to the bathroom and lock the door. <laughs> do something, you know. You know you can talk to Jesus. You know that. You know you can memorize some scripture. You know that. Again, the priority, we say we follow the, the way of Jesus. And if we're going to try to see ourselves the way he saw himself, then we have to understand that the Father is everything. In case you didn't get that, if we're going to see ourselves the way Jesus saw himself, then the Father is everything. And we can't be dodging it, avoiding it. The dull, Michael, the dull ear, the dull heart, you know, dull faith. You can't. We are followers of Jesus. Okay, quick counseling session. You guys ready? What are you going to do when someone is at that place where they're dull? They're, they're full of fear, full of disbelief, whatever the case may be. What are you going to do? How are you going to treat them? What are you going to say to them to say, look, you're going to have to get on track here. If you're following Jesus, this is how it's done. What are you going to say to him? How are you going to encourage a brother or sister to really live out faith and not just use the title, the label, Christian church member, small group attendee or something like that? David? Speak, speak to someone about Christ. Yeah, you want to... <laughs> thank you, David. You want to test your faith? 
Try sharing the gospel. Yeah. Like with the guy at the pumps. Or the lady in line at, at, at Kroger or something. Try share, sharing the simple gospel. And watch what happens. Watch what happens. It should be kind of natural, you know, like breathing. But yeah, it will show you where your heart is. I'll just put it that way. Thank you, David. Stephen, anybody online or something? Any questions? Anybody else? Yes, Janet. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go get coffee and let me tell you my story. And you confess Jesus to them. That you're not ashamed of Jesus nor the gospel, Michael. Um, I think the best thing to say is actually not even using words, but having them follow you. Yeah. And a great example of that is what I've done or, or what you've done in my life. And you've shown examples of grace and mercy that I've never seen. And so I was able to take that and I can apply that as well. That's beautiful, yeah. And, and isn't that discipleship? The older models something, the younger embraces it, and it becomes real in your life and you pass that on to your boys and your friends. That's so good. You guys, are, this is wonderful. Someone else? How's God's been? What's that? Meeting a practical need, absolutely. Love it, love it, beautiful, beautiful. It's good, seriously, it's good. Anybody else on why this matters? We're good, okay. Are you about your father's business? Am I about my father's business? If so, what's the evidence? What's the proof of that, you know? Cheap words or an, ab- an absolute uh, lifestyle. All right. I want to pray and ask God's favor over us. And we're going to sing and worship uh, and, and, and literally get it God's heart. Which I think is beautiful. Let me pray over you. Abba Father, thank you for each person that's here. Thank you that grace is real and your love is real. Um, Abba Father, we need you. And we ask that you would give us this new sense of faith that we're not ashamed or embarrassed of you. We will confess you before men, before women. We're not going to hide you. The gospel is not going to go under, under a bushel basket kind of thing. We're going to literally be followers of your son, Jesus. Lord, I love you and I thank you and I ask for this grace now. In Jesus' name, amen.